Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep. Folks, we want to do you a big, okay? We want you to go to www.smoothmyballs.com forward slash go deep. And we want you to get the Turf Chopper 2.0. I'm telling you, this baby will rip through anything except your skin. That's the important part, right? Nobody wants their, their beanbag nipped and chipped. You want to keep it nice and clean. Nobody likes that mobile dental floss. And when you get to the checkout, I want you to put in the words, go deep. One word, no spaces, okay? Save yourself that 15%. Your partner's going to thank you. You're going to thank us. And fuck the plumber. He's not going to like either one of us. <laughs> Also, folks, uh, <laughs> I never can get over that. It always makes me laugh. Uh, also, uh, Motorsports Mofo gets upset when I don't mention the spring store and the fact that we don't have his uh, yoga pants available yet to show his camel tail. But we will have some new gear up eventually, I promise you. It's all good stuff coming through. We still have some nice gear on the store. Just simply go to my Twitter account and you click that. You can click another link that will take you to our uh, spring store. And from there, you can find uh, the gear that you like. If you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, just tell me. Reach out. You can reach me at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com and I'd be happy to take your advice. So with that being said, today's a special show. It always is a special show, of course, when I have this individual on. This is an unpredictable episode, which means Alan Smithy's on the show. How are you, pal? Boy, boy, boy! Oh man, let me tell you, I'm feeling good. I'm living long. I'm prospering, my friend. Uh -oh. And if you go to shavemyballs.com, I guarantee you that the products they sell will make your beanbag as smooth as Jean-Luc Picard's head. That that is how smooth it's gonna be, man. That's called cross promotion, baby. Oh man, plug those sponsors. I think uh, I think you'd also look like Mr. Clean. I think Mr. Clean and, and uh, the person we're gonna talk about, Jean Luc Picard, uh, they both have something in common with their bald head, and that's super wax they use on their heads. Jesus Christ, super wax. You could just the shine. You gotta have sheen because I'm telling you, and I'm thinking now if. My balls keep, you know, glistening the way they do. I'm just gonna shine them up, and away we go. You gotta, you gotta promote that. Smooth my balls, and enter the code GODY, baby. We gotta, gotta keep pushing the product. Definitely, uh, get that fifteen percent off. So, Alan, how yep. are you, pal? It's been a long time, buddy. Buddy, it's good to talk to you again, John. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And again, thank you, thank you to all our listeners. It's good to talk to you out there in podcast world. And I'm glad to be back. And uh, yeah, unpredictable. I like to say that I put the dick in unpredictable. <laughs> not, not, not the camel toeish dick like our good friend and beloved brother, Motorsports, motorsports Mofo. Mofo. But fuck that guy. Fuck that Motorsports Mofo guy. In oh, any event, fuck. Johnny, let's get this started. Let me ask you a question. Sure, John. Have you ever heard of a really, really obscure niche TV show called Star Trek? Who hasn't? That's the real question. Who hasn't? Let's. So, for this week's Unpredictable, we are going to nerd the fuck up with this. We're going to go right down the rabbit hole. And, Johnny, I got to tell you, this is a topic I've been meaning to, to, to bring on your podcast 
from day one. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek. Let's 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 make. I mean, it could be nerdier if we were doing Lord of the Rings, yeah, or Doctor Who. But fuck both of those things. Uh, we're gonna go with Star Trek today because it is near and dear to my heart. So, yeah, let's talk Trek. And and first and foremost, Johnny, I gotta say, there's two types of people in the world: people that embrace the word Trekkies. And that nerds that should never leave their parents' basement if they go by the phrase trekkers. I think, you know, you have to embrace the fact that you're a fucking nerd if you love Star Trek. It doesn't matter how cool you are. If you love Star Trek, you're a nerd and you got to embrace that. Man, I'm going to go deep on this tonight. Mm, so Super exciting. Yeah, this year is a big year. 2021 is the 55th anniversary of the original television show. It debuted in September of 1966. And it is the 25th anniversary of perhaps uh, the second biggest Star Trek movie to hit the silver screen. That was uh, 1996's Star Trek First Contact. And this is, yeah, exactly. And this is also the uh, 30th anniversary of the last time the original crew were all together in Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. So this is, for Trekkies, uh, this is a big year. And no some big anniversaries. No, I'm telling you, man. Tomorrow night, season three of Star Trek Discovery debuts, and then in January, hold on, two, hold the Star- phone, hold the phone. I was yep. just checking it out online. Apparently, uh, Paramount, yep. which is the company that owns yep. the TV rights, uh, they yep. they've yanked it back. I don't know when the release date's going to be now. I think if you go onto their nope. uh, online server, like streaming service, it rather. Is, so here's what happened: Paramount gave the middle finger to the rest of the world except for the U.S. and Canada for Star Trek Discovery. Okay. You see, what's going on right now, there's a lot of bullshit over streaming services, and everybody is wanting to stream and do exclusive streaming content on their own services. And Paramount is trying desperately to get Paramount Plus up and running. And Paramount Plus, like Disney Plus, like HBO Max, they're really relying on that Star Trek content to push the, the brand, because basically Paramount has nothing else. So... They want to make inroads in these foreign countries, and especially England and the, the United Kingdom and France and Germany and Japan. So what they've done is they were supposed to release it on Netflix and Amazon Prime, depending on which country you lived, you lived in. And at the last moment, literally, as you said, hot off the press 24 hours ago, they completely yanked it from all from literally around the world except for the United States, where it will make its debut season three on Paramount Plus and here in Canada on Crave. So, so you know what people are going to do. Rogers. You know what people are going to do, right, Alan Smithy? Oh, you got to pirate that shit, man. You have to pirate well, that. You cannot. You, you can do it another way. The track. You can do it another way. If you're not going to pirate it. VPN. Right? Not, yes. You got to VPN it. ExpressVPN. Absolutely. Reach us. We're your new sponsor. To- <laughs> totally, man. ExpressVPN. Contact John sponsor the podcast yeah express i mean it's funny back in the day i used to i used to bootleg shit like crazy on the pirate bay but oh wow with the, with the men no i was a huge bootlegger because again a lot of shows very difficult to find and i you know i've always been a computer nerd so i wanted to watch it when i wanted to watch it commercial free so i was i was the king pirate on the pirate bay but you know the problem is i'm now older i'm not as computer savvy as i used to be and 
the people that do viruses, the people who create viruses and malware are way more crafty fuckers than I'm smart. So I literally do not trust downloads anymore and I'll stream it or I'll VPN it and uh, it just works really well. VPNs are great, by the way, if you want to watch stuff in England or you want to watch stuff in Korea. Uh, it's just, it's VPNs are fucking fantastic. So yeah, if you're anywhere in the world listening and you want to watch Star Trek Discovery Season 3, VPN that shit to Paramount Plus. So yeah, no in any event, let's go, buddy. So what's your favorite Star Trek? Let's let's go right balls deep. What's your favorite Star Trek? Okay, so I got to tell you, man, it is it is deep as it gets. It is original series, animated series. Have you ever seen the cartoons? The the um, what do you call it? The one that uh, of the of the, the original the original series, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty from the seventies. No, I didn't Star even know Trek they had a cartoon. Series. This is something new to me, dude. This is so. I'm a child of the '70s. I was born in '70, and this was my literally my introduction to Star Trek. When I was about four, really? uh, on a Saturday morning, I saw the Star Trek cartoon, and apparently, according to my parents, I was so enamored with it that they put me in front of the TV when one of the reruns of the of the live action show came on, and my love for Star Trek grew from about age four. So going way back to '74. But yeah, what wow. happened was Star Trek. The original series debuted in 1966. They did a pilot in 65. And the pilot, while it's fantastic, did not thrill the studio. So the studio did not give up on the project. And they said, okay, give us another pilot. So the original captain was played by an actor named Jeffrey Hunter. And he played a character called Captain Pike. And when they when they scrapped the original pilot, Jeffrey Hunter went on and got a, a role playing Jesus. And decided that Jesus was more important than being a Starfleet captain. What? I'm not a religious person so if you want to play jesus if you love jesus more than star trek god be with you <laughs> but in any event so they hired william shatner gene Roddenberry hired william shatner brought back leonard nimoy shot a second pilot the studio loved it greenlit the show and away we went that lasted for three seasons yeah and uh due to abysmal ratings especially in the third season uh, the show was canceled, but Star Trek lived on and Trekkies in the late 60s and the early 70s, uh, especially 70, 71, 72, um, started doing Star Trek conventions. And no one had really ever done sort of fandom conventions before and the people were clamoring. So what Paramount decided to do was they decided to make a half hour cartoon to run Saturday mornings in 73 and 74 using all of the original cast except for William, uh, Walter Koning, who played Chekhov. They didn't have the budget, so they didn't bring Chekhov along. So the animated series was absolutely fantastic because, as you know, with cartoons, you can do things that just you, you can't do in live action. So that was my introduction to Star Trek. So, again, original series... Uh, animated, original series. I loved both of those. What happened in 1986 was Paramount went back to the well and said, okay, we uh, we, wanted, we want a new Star Trek show. So uh, Roddenberry came up with The Next Generation. And Thank that God was released she did. in 1996. Right, exactly, right? Yes, sir. And uh, so the first couple of seasons, I remember being excited for a new Star Trek. I wasn't thrilled that the original cast wasn't in it, but the idea sounded interesting. But a bald Englishman playing a Frenchman as a, as an intellectual captain, where I was used to Kirk being a literally a swashbuckler, that didn't excite me at all. So when I watched the first few episodes of The Next Generation, I thought, this is horseshit. And I, I literally saw five or six episodes of The, of the Next Generation 
And I said, fuck this. This is retarded. Sorry, that's uh, probably not the best phrase. <laughs> this is this is terribly retarded, and I'm I'm not I'm not not watching this at all. So I gave up on it. So fast forward to uh, the spring of 1991, and at this point, I started uh, dating uh, another member of our our podcast family, uh, the lovely and talented Annie Hack. Yes, and Annie is a huge fan of the Next Generation. She had been watching it from the beginning, and I was at her apartment, and she said, um, "Let's watch the show with me." And I'm like, "Oh." Star Trek Next Generation, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to watch this crap. She's like, no, no, no. For me, let's watch this show. So in any event, it happened to be the episode uh, Best of Both Worlds, where, where it involved the first, or not the first appearance, but it was a big two-parter season finale with the Borg. And let me tell you, my mind was blown because the that first Borg season scared of the Star the Trek Next Generation scared the shit out of me. What a great concept for this thing. You, the absolutely, because previously, even in the original series, you had formidable foes, but for some reason, I was never, whenever I watched the show, I was never afraid that Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Scotty were going to be able to, to not overcome the danger that they were in. They always pulled it out. But watching the best of both worlds, when uh, Jean-Luc Picard, was kidnapped and turned into Lucidus of Borg, that scared the shit out of me because it made it real. It's like, well, wait a second. What the fuck? This is a very dangerous, very interesting character, very interesting enemy, very interesting life form. So, yeah, from that point forward, I was hooked. And, yeah, the next generation just just loved. From that point on, basically, season three to season seven of the next generation, perfect television. It the was show, the concept of it how it Star Trek The Next Generation was amazing because if you watched it from front to back, it all ties yeah. in. It all loops in nicely like you've just tied your shoes or you just got handcuffed with a zip tie. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're talking about like from the first episode Encounter to Farpoint with you all the way to the final one, final episode, All Good Things, yes. where they bring Q back and tie. Yeah, see, that was that was absolutely gorgeous. And again, the writing, the writing team they had, Brian Braga, Ron Moore, um, and a few others, that was just unbelievably tight. Those those creators for Star Trek: The Next Generation, as the seasons went on, sure there were some stinkers. There was an episode, I think, in season six where Doctor Crusher falls in love with a an Irish ghost. Yeah, yeah, maybe they maybe they fucking phone that shit in. But for the most part outstanding outstanding episodes so johnny i gotta ask you do you have a favorite episode of oh and before i ask you this just a quick tangent i love trekkies i love uh, with all my heart if you're a trekkie i i just you you have my deepest admiration and i gotta tell you johnny i work with this guy he's just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet okay he's a bit of a trekkie to the point where he named his son Riker. What? And I'm like, wow, I just, yeah, I'm telling you, that's just, he named his kid Riker, and I got to tell you, icing on the cake. If you thought this cat was cool, when you, like, when I found it, he named his kid Riker, I'm like, okay, that's just, I can't, I can't, I cannot get any more erect. My my dick will only get so hard. So, yeah, man, that was, uh, it's the kind of trekkie I like. But in any event, let me go, let me go deep here, Johnny. All right, so for me, me, I... I loved yep. a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation. I couldn't narrow yep. down a favorite episode, but what I can tell you is this. I love the holodeck. I fucking love it. I love Oh man. I loved when um Patrick Stewart got right into character and he could play like that old uh mobster gangsters the, and stuff with oh, data absolute, and stuff. Uh, Dick 
D- Dixon Hill. Yes. Dixon Hill is the name of the, uh, that's right. And, um, so here's a quick, here's a quick little historical fact on the holodeck. The holodeck, the concept of it, Roddenberry debuted in the cartoon series in 1973. There was an episode where the computer on board the Enterprise, the original Enterprise of Kirk and McCoy and Scotty, yeah. the computer went haywire and it stranded uh, McCoy and Sulu and Uhura in the holodeck in a snowstorm. And again, people, because not a lot of people watch the animated series, yeah. but that was an idea that Roddenberry put forward that he could never really get into the, because it cost so much back in the 60s to produce Star Trek. The idea of a holodeck, either Roddenberry thought it would be too expensive or he couldn't convince his writers or the or the or the network to to wrap their head around creating a holodeck. But he wrote it into the animated series, and it was just a. And I completely forgot about it I, until I you know started watching the Next Generation, and then I went back to watch the animated series when it came out on DVD, and they had this one episode where Sulu and and McCoy and Uhura were in the holodeck, and I'm like. <gasps> Mind blown, Roddenberry, you're a genius. <laughs> but yeah, and you know, being in the holodeck, that is what the entire entertainment industry in the world is going for. Every dollar that, whether it's uh, you're a video game company or you're a web developer or you're someone like Facebook, everyone wants to create the holodeck. So yes. here's a question, Johnny. Let's go deep on the holodeck. Okay. If there was such a thing, would you ever leave it? No. <laughs> no, I, I think. I think that's really the case. No, you would never leave it because what what would be the point? Well, it's it's so amazing. Like everything. I mean, obviously you can't eat in the holodeck, but I mean, you can I, actually. Yeah, you got the uh, the synthesizer, yeah, you, the food synthesizer. It synthesizes the the replicators that create the the holograms. As long as you have a as long as you have a food replicator in there uh, inside the holodeck, you can you can literally feed yourself. The only the only thing stopping is the computer power and, and and like the ability to continuously work and process and create these images for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, for years on end. Can a computer do that? Can a computer sustain itself before it breaks down? And number two, the energy, the energy required to keep, to keep that going. But the idea, the concept is, would you ever leave a holodeck? And the answer is no, you wouldn't, I wouldn't. Why? Why would you? You, you could, could be in the Bahamas. You could be in a snowstorm. You could be in the middle of a brothel, which I. You could absolutely. <laughs> why not? If you're no seriously, like if you're in, if you're in a holodeck, all bets are off. But again, then here comes the question: If you were designing a holodeck, would you put in uh, safety settings or moralistic settings? Because that's really. The mor- morality of a holodeck is is the is the is the elephant in the room that no one has ever talked about, and certainly never discussed in any Star Trek episode. They never wanted to go there. But the morality if if you quietly have a penchant to be a serial killer, could you go into the holodeck and become a serial killer? Absolutely, you could. Well, is that you know like do you want to create a holodeck that would allow someone to become a serial killer? I mean, well, you, you could always also uh, live out your Pornhub uh, dreams as well, right? So, I mean, oh, to- totally, I, totally. I think it would be healthy not to kill people in the holodeck, but to live out other fantasies. I, to- I totally agree. But the same thing, you know, if you're living at your Pornhub fantasies, let's say they get into areas that are absolutely cruel, unusual, or 
completely like deranged and depraved. Do you, you know, again, one person's sexual preference is somebody else's sexual deviancy. So where do you draw the line? Do you allow that to create a holodeck where... I think pain. Yeah. I think pain. Like you wouldn't, uh, you'd put it almost the same way as you would set up a fight. If you were going to do like a UFC fight or a boxing match, you know, sure, there, but there some comes people a point. Love it. No, no, hundred yeah, percent. But it, like, I would have the computer locked to a point where, you know, once it gets to a certain threshold, it doesn't care. It cuts it off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's just, so the idea is, is fantastic. And again, that's Mark Zuckerberg's announcement about meta that he did. Zuckerberg's a weird fucking guy. Yep. Unless Facebook and Meta want to sponsor the podcast, then we love we love Meta. But yeah. he his announcement his announcement about Meta a few weeks back, where you know it was creating a virtual he wants to create a virtual reality environment where people can can sort of live in it. That's the holodeck. Everyone, every entertainment industry, you know, you go Oculus VR, uh, all the VR gear that you, you can wear is designed to create a, reality. Uh, a virtual holodeck, a reality man. Have and you that's tried what that? People want. Have you tried? I've that never there? tried no? VR. Oh my I'm god! I'm a little, I'm a little scared, man. Is it good? Oh, okay, so I've tried a couple. I've tried uh, yeah. the Samsung VR, which you know you're limited to one handset, and you know your phone being in yeah. a plastic pair of goggles. It was yeah. okay. You could you could jump into a VR very lightly with that. But then yeah. I've 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 gone a little deeper. I've gone balls deep. I went into the Oculus. I went into the uh, Oculus Quest, which is the one without the tethers, and I've done the HTC one. And I got to tell you, yeah. when you have that, the goggles on, you got the earphones uh, stuck to your ear and it's just pressing. It's not pressing. It's just right on them. So no other sound is really coming in. You're really like yeah. immersed into this whole feeling of things. And this is where like the holodeck comes in and it just makes it real. And it, like they have like these new um, suits and they're not, they're, they're not new probably in the industry, but they're new to people like us if we were to try to put one on. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the whole idea where you can feel like people shooting you and, you know, all this other stuff, just it, it just creates this whole reality that's like really mind boggling. You know what I mean? Like, it's awesome. It's crazy, man. I saw a video of a guy in a headset and he's holding uh, he's holding like a plastic rifle. But he's got the headset, the goggles on. He's holding a plastic rifle, yep. and he's walking on like a five foot by five foot treadmill that changes direction wh- whatever way he walks. So he can, so he's always stationary, even though he's moving around. So when he's running or walking or jumping, he's never falling off that treadmill. So it's constantly moving with him, and that like that's really there. You're you're literally in 21st century holodeck because if you're constantly able to move free range of movement anywhere and your your eyes and your ears are completely immersed in this world that's the holodeck and man i just i think i think john if i were to get in one of those things i would never ever come out and and i i i just i think that's I easy to say but i think like yeah. you'll still want like when you when you can properly go online and stuff like that i think it really changes it like i know there's some games and some like chat things you can do on these things that it's not quite like online online but when it gets to a point yeah. where it's like ready ready player one i think that's the time yeah, you should be afraid i totally think so man i absolutely think so and you know what here's like i'm gonna get i'm gonna get, get really uh really conspiracy because you know i love my conspiracy oh theories. yeah if, if you want a foreign country like a russia or a china to to take over and conquer a country like the United States or Canada, all you have to do is get the citizenry hooked into VR. You get enough people in the VR world 
at one time, not paying attention, and boom, you can walk in and take over everything. Oh yeah, no problem. That's the, that, that's the fear, right? Because what what do they care? They're bu- you're busy playing, you know, a, a Metal Gear Solid in your virtual reality. You don't care that they're actual real troops, you know, parachuting Red Dawn style into your backyard because you don't know, you don't care. So you know, if you're if I was a foreign country. That's exactly what I'd want to do. I'd want to get the young addicted to the VR so that they never come out of the VR so that you can walk in and conquer the country. That's that's the goal, man. I mean, that would man, be amazing. I, I honestly I embrace the uh, the VR, but I also yeah. um, also embrace people being social with each other. You know, there's a time and place for everything, so we gotta remember that uh, at the end of the day, like I the hologram like the hologram room and um, you know, VR is great, but Make sure you have time to see people in 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 real time. You know what I mean. But here's the question: so you so you're 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 a little younger than I am, but you're still older. You're old enough to remember a time before the when your phone was ubiquitous and it was always with you. Whereas you you know my kids' generation, you know my kid is 18 years old. Uh, she's grown up with a phone, so she, her relationship with her friends is much different than the kind of relationship I had with my friends growing up. So, you you know, I agree with you. You have to meet people in real life and see people in real life. But there very much is a disconnect in today's society about personal interaction. I agree with you. Personal connections are everything. You're not going to get a personal connection on the holodeck. Or it's going to be something like the movie Free Guy, where... You know, you're an avatar and they're an avatar and you don't really know what the other person's like. So, but no, I totally, I'm with you hundred percent. You have to, you have to live in the real world. There's nothing wrong with, you know, being online, but you brought up an interesting point there, Alan Smithy. I want to throw that back before we pivot back to Star Trek, the next generation. Okay. Uh, when I yeah. grew up, you made a point of mentioning the fact that I grew up at a time where I didn't have internet and you're right. I did. So when we're talking about generations, there's Generation X and then there's uh, Millennials. So there's yep. actually a subclass and everybody that says, you know, I correct them. They're like, oh, that's a millennial thing to do. But um, really, there's there's one more in between those because of that difference between um, Generation X and Millennials. There's an in between. There's one that fits in the gap. And that's Exenuals because I'm the last generation that grew up with the streetlights, but I was also the first generation to jump on the Internet. So I'm a little bit of the yeah. best of both worlds, if you if you will. I totally agree, and you're you're. I think you're about ten years, or maybe just a little more than ten years younger than me. I'm 51, so I'm solidly Gen X, and um, yeah. So I sort of, you know, I remember the days of computers being very, very new. I remember getting my first modem. How oh, exciting geez, that yeah. was to get a to get a modem to get online. So yeah, there is that generation that, that between millennials. What did you call them? Exenuals. Exenuals. That's a great name for it, man. So yeah, your your generation, you know, was the last generation with the streetlights, but also the first generation to be young enough to really appreciate the internet. Definitely. You know, when it came out in 95, 96, 97, 98, that sort of thing. When I was in the entertainment industry back in those days, I remember putting, it was a new thing to start putting the website of the movie on the movie poster uh, and the movie ads. It's like, oh, yeah, with the website that's a new thing people can go to the website and find out about the movie like just that that sort of novel approach seems so antiquated now but back then it was like oh yeah you can go to a website what a great idea it's so nuts yeah. I, I see these commercials the making fun is. of back in the day with the modems like like i remember that, those dude, days that's what it sounded like i, mean, I remember 
going online and trying to watch the trailer for Batman and Robin. Oh, shit. Uh, sorry, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. The one with Nicole Kidman and Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey. I remember trying to watch that in 1995 on a modem that <laughs> through America Online or CompuServe. I forget what it was, but the, the trailer was about the size of a postage stamp because that's all, you know, the bandwidth you can get. And I remember watching the, the like, again, this makes me sound really old, but I can watch a movie on my phone sitting on a train or, or you know, sitting in, in a parking lot or Anywhere, I can watch a movie in high definition, whereas I remember, you know, seeing the movie trailer and it was the size of a postage stamp. So, yeah, it's come a long way. It's so Man, nuts. I'm fucking old. But, you know, talking about nuts. that stuff, pivoting back to Star Trek The Next Generation, I can't remember yeah. Dr. Crusher's uh, son's name. Wesley Crusher. Wesley. So, there was an episode and it gave me so much anxiety, but it really could be true to the now. So they had like a headset. There was like an alien headset they put on them and they would get caught up in this game to the point where they were just so distracted. They didn't want to do anything that had to do with the ship or any of their orders. That's right. And yeah, yeah. I, and I remember been so busy playing this game. Yeah. So I think that kind of brings us back to the whole idea that uh, this is a reality that could be a possibility down the line. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh, totally. You know, there was another episode that I loved. Uh, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I love the concept of it. And it was just a real mind fuck. And it was a two-parter, I think, called Message in a Bottle. That's where um, Data and Jordy LaForge's uh, endeavors to be Sherlock Holmes against uh, Dr. Moriarty. And Dr. Moriarty became sort of sentient. And in this particular two-parter called Ship in a Bottle, it seemed like he was able to escape the holodeck. And this was a few years before Star Trek Voyager introduced the concept of a, of a mobile uh, uh, the um, emergency medical hologram doctor. So the idea of Moriarty be able to walk off the holodeck and take over the ship when in reality it was a holodeck simulation inside a holodeck simulation, it was a concept very much like the Matrix long before the Matrix. I don't know if you remember that episode, John, but it was just a complete mindfuck whereas you, you, know, you think Moriarty is led to believe that he's free. And he's able to walk around the ship and interact with the ship and take over the ship and sit in the bridge. When yeah. in reality, it was just a clever simulation. He was inside another holodeck simulation. And, you know, at the end of that episode, the, I spent the whole episode going, he, you know, the computer became smart enough and sentient enough to send this hologram outside of the holodeck. When in reality, he, he never left the holodeck. And what a mindfuck that was. Yeah, I do. I do. Was briefly remember that like a lot of this stuff is just coming back and you got to remember when netflix took away star trek the next generation for a bit because of paramount i mean that sucked yeah. i loved going back there and watching it. and although the graphics were dated i get it yeah they a little bit sure it's okay it doesn't need to be it's up okay. to date it was the, no. the acting and the quality of the writing of the that show made up for the fact that the graphics were fucking 20 years old, Out, 30 years outstanding. old. You know, one of the nice things, so I'm not a purist in the sense, one of the great things that Paramount did, got to be about 15, maybe even 20 years ago, they went back when they were getting ready to release the original series on Blu-ray. What they did was they went back and they spent the money and they redid the special effects for every single episode of the original series. So 
all the starship shot, everything involving a starship, orbiting a planet, being in, in a in a fight with a Klingon cruiser, any any exterior special effects shot, they completely redid, and it is absolutely beautiful. In fact, it's a little bit jarring sometimes because it's sort of a modern look, and then they then they'll switch the you know go from the exterior shot of the Enterprise orbiting a planet or or being engaged with a with a Klingon um, D seven cruiser. And then they'll go back to the bridge with Shatner, and it's just so jarring. You're like, wow, that 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 very it doesn't seem to fit. But man, does it ever look good? It looks so so good. I know there's some nerdy Trekkie peers who are like, oh no no, it's the charm of the original, you know, series and the the graphics being shitty. Fuck those guys. I like the new looking ships. I like it looking clean. I like the special effects being updated. Keep doing that shit. Keep updating it to make it look good. So. Yeah, if you get I definitely a chance, don't see a problem with that either. I don't see a problem with that. So yeah, they could definitely do that with the next generation as well to uh, to sort of enhance it. But yeah, even then, it was the '80s and the early '90s. Special effects, a lot of the a lot of the special effects at that point were handled by Industrial Light and Magic. So George Lucas's company did a lot of the special effects work for the next generation and subsequent Star Trek movies. It was uh, just a, just a match made in heaven because industrial light magic is still the best special effects company out there. See, so, so what else do you remember, man? Yeah. What were some of your other favorite episodes or favorite moments that you can remember? I remember that one episode gen. where there was a civilization and they had to get off um, a particular planet because it was dying. They were trying to move them onto a spaceship that would basically look like their uh, village and these people yeah. had no clue, and then all of a sudden everything went fucking haywire, and then our boys yep. had to go in and save the day. I remember that episode yep. where they, they were basically they talking about violate, no they, yeah. they, they wanted to save the society without violating the prime directive. Yes, and uh, that's that's such a you know those those moral quandaries. So, what do you think about the prime directive? Let's get let's go deep on this. So, one of the underlying principles of Star Trek is what they call their prime directive, and the prime directive states that. Under no circumstances is any Starfleet vessel or any Starfleet personnel allowed to interfere or enhance or uh, do anything that would that would alter the natural development of any civilization they come across, and that is that is punishable um, by not death but but imprisonment for the rest of your life. So basically, if you're a Starfleet captain and you violate the Prime Directive, not only are you kicked out of Starfleet but you will be imprisoned for the rest of your life. It's the, the most sacred vow is do not interfere with uh, an alien civilization as it's developing. Uh, but is that right? Or do we have a moral obligation to share our technology with uh, a population that is underdeveloped or not quite where we are? Like, I if, think, sorry. Yeah, hit it. I think if uh, Go ahead. we had to look at this, I agree with the prime directive only up until the point where if a, a civilization is in peril, then we have to break yeah. the news and bring them up to speed. And it's yeah. it's harsh, but outside of that, if these guys are still fucking using Flintstone and wood to get a fire going, yeah, let them be. Let yeah. them barbecue their whatever their animals or whatever those things are, and you know, let them live their lives yeah. and progress on their own accord. That was you know, it's funny you mentioned that flintlock rifles. That was one of the one of the episodes that I when I was a kid of the original series it was called a private little war, and uh, I. I didn't like it. I didn't appreciate when I was a kid, but as an adult, I really appreciated it. And it's basically Kirk had uh, gone down to a, 
a, a primitive civilization as a as a cadet or a junior officer, and had made friends with one of the locals, and they knew they knew they were from another planet, but they existed as a primitive uh, civilization, sort of in the um, not quite Wild West era type uh, technology, but but it was very much like the colonial settlers who uh, who took over North America. So it was flintlock rifles and uh, deerskin clothing and that sort of thing. And the crux of the episode was that the Klingons came down to the planet and were at, broke. Because the Klingons don't have a prime directive. Basically, we're arming other group on the planet. And so Kirk was faced with a, with a quandary. Do I then arm my friend and his uh, group to compete with the Klingons or let them all get slaughtered. And at the end of the day, Kirk went and, and armed his group and it became a shit show. Kirk won in the end, defeated the Klingons, but you know, it raises the big question. If you, you know, do you, do you interfere uh, with the, the civilization as it's growing? My, my thought on that, John, is this, what if you don't like, what if you, if you come across a civilization and you don't interfere but and, and you leave it be and you go away. But had you interfered, there may be a scientist on that planet who doesn't yet have the technology to make a breakthrough discovery in space travel or time travel or, uh, you know, some miracle cure for some disease that, that you know, uh, they don't know yet. Do Are you not robbing the, the universe of that potential? by not encouraging people that are more primitive to give them the modern technology and have them help you make these discoveries now? Are, are you putting the universe in jeopardy by not helping them? That's always been my moral quandary with that. And I'm sort of like, no, no, fuck the prime directive. Go in there and advance all the civilization. I think... Uh, the chaos, man. I don't know. I think I would leave it the way it is because some people don't want to be moved to the future. You got to think about... In our, no. own, in our in our own um, civilization now, with us obviously barely able to leave the planet, and a lot of people yeah. didn't really want to adapt to cell phones. You remember when cell phones came out? No, there was the a lot of the baby boomers were like, "I don't need a cell phone. If I'm not home, I'm not home. Clearly, I'm not. I don't want to so, be uh, like talked to. I don't want to talk to you guys." Same thing with computers. A lot of people are like, "What do I need to be? I don't want a computer." So yeah, I, I totally get it. I totally. Some people, you know, the idea of advanced some. There's still some people on Earth that say, I mean, it goes without saying, there are people that still believe the Earth is flat. <laughs> there are people that believe the moon landing was fake. So, the yeah, you know, you're never going to convince everybody, oh, man, and just some people, <laughs> yeah, flat Earth. Oh, man. Right? So, oh, I'm telling you, man. What about you? Crazy. What is your least favorite, like, I know you kind of briefly mentioned, but what is your least favorite episode? So, there are too many least favorite episodes to, to talk about. Basically, Next Generation the first, the first two seasons were just terrible. I didn't like anything in them. Uh, of the later seasons, the only one that really stuck out in my mind that I hated was the one with with Dr. Crusher and the the Irish ghost that she falls in love with. I think some of my favorites, John, are uh, two two of my favorites are what what are considered small episodes. They're not grand concepts. They're not involving any war or any battles. I, my favorite episode of the Next Generation is an episode called The Inner Light. And it's a very um, mellow episode, but it, it's got it, the emotional resonance of this episode sticks with me today, almost 30 years after it aired. And basically, the crew of the Enterprise encounters a probe in space. And when they approach the probe, the probe in turn, uh, in, in turn uh, manages to uh, zap the Enterprise 
and specifically knocked Picard out. And the crew's not sure what happened to Picard. And it turns out that the probe was from an ancient civilization that had long died. And it projected the history of the civilization, specifically the, the, the life of one of its citizens, into the mind of Picard in such a virtual reality way that Picard actually lived this man's life from the time he was about 50 till the time he died. And he, you know, lived in this village live with the people in this world and learn to play a flute. And it was, it was so real to Picard that when the crew was able to revive him, he, you know, he had a, a lifetime worth of experience, but it had only been, been unconscious for uh, half an hour, some short amount of time. And Picard at the end of the day was still able to play this flute that he managed to learn how to play in his lifetime, but only in an hour. So the episode was very, very uh, sort of esoteric, uh, not a traditional, we're fighting the board, we're fighting the Cardassians uh, kind of episode, but it was just a, a just tremendous uh, emotional resonance. Oh, the other one I like, oh man, I, I think it was called Starship Mine. It was another Picard episode where the ship was going in for what I can only describe as sanitation. And they dock in a, star, in a star base and they need all the crew off the ship. So they all get shore leave and they all go down on this planet and Picard's getting ready to uh, ride a horse. And at the last moment, he, they need everybody off the ship because the ship is going to get sanitized from uh, uh, bow to stern and it, there cannot be any organic life on the ship. Otherwise, the organic life will get destroyed. And Picard comes back at the last moment to grab his saddle for for riding a horse and he finds out that it is uh, the the people setting up this disinfectant are actually there to try to sabotage and I don't want to say rob but but find get something from the enterprise and Picard diehard quote unquote diehard the situation it's like diehard on the enterprise where he spends the entire episode fucking around like Bruce Willis did in Nakatomi Plaza trying to stymie these these would-be thieves and robbers all the while trying to escape the um the wave of disinfectant energy that's sort of going from bow to stern above the uh, aboard the enterprise it was just a fucking great episode if you like diehard you like star trek boom there you go buddy there's no that's, way you can't uh, like diehard either you can't man diehard again Best Christmas movie we'll cover ever. This. <laughs> Dude, we'll cover this in, no, we'll cover this in the Christmas uh, Christmas entertainment episode of Go Deep, but yes, yeah, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas, I don't care that Bruce Willis said it's not, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs> so, we got, you your, got it, we got your favorite, we got your worst um, episode. Yep. Now, yep. Without How going, about you, buddy? Without going too further deep. Uh, yeah. into future episodes of Unpredictable. Yeah. Do you like Discovery? Love it. Love Discovery. And in fact, we can do a whole episode of Discovery. So let me tell you my Discovery story. I know we're, we're getting we're getting tight on time, but let me just do this Discovery story. Yes, sir. I was so... I, I hate Star Trek Enterprise. No offense to Scott Bakula. He was a wonderful actor, but I, I really do think Star Trek Enterprise um, with Scott Bakula was just a terrible TV show. I never liked it. And it, I, I'm not a huge fan of Voyager. Voyager, I was hot and cold on. Love the concept, but seven seasons seemed really long. I couldn't get down Enterprise with it either. Came around. Dude, it just didn't. Some episodes were good, but some were just, just terrible. Uh, so Absolutely. when Star Trek Enterprise came around, I watched the four episodes, five episodes. And I'm like, no, I, I'm done. So that did it for me for Star Trek. And when Discovery came out, I didn't give a flying 
fuck about Discovery. I don't care. I thought the idea was kind of weird. I'm like, another disposable Star Trek I don't give a shit about. So fast forward to literally three months ago. This past September, Paramount, on the day that Star Trek debuted, I think it's September 15th, every year, but basically Star Wars has Star Wars Day, May the 4th. So Paramount is trying to replicate that, and they've created Star Trek Day, which is, I think, September 15th when the original series debuted in 1966. Yeah. So when Star Trek Day came around this past September, a few months ago, I was going to sit down in anticipation of doing this podcast and rewatch some of my favorite episodes of The Next Generation. I thought to myself, you know what? Fuck it. I'll watch the first episode of Discovery and I'll, I'll give it a chance. If I hate it, I hate it. So I sat down with Annie Hack, who's a really, really good judge of good and bad Star Trek. The two of us sat down. And did we not fucking watch five episodes in a row of Discovery? And we were like, what the fuck have I been missing? So yeah, <laughs> love Discovery. Absolutely love. What do you What do you think, John? Do you like Discovery? I like Discovery. I like the first episode where they they disturb the, uh, what do you call them, Klingons, and they realize Klingons are yep. still around and everything just gets all yep. fucked up. I was sold right from it the beginning. Just, me too, man. It just, the twist and turn, the fact that you don't know what's going on uh, with Captain Lorca in the, in that first season, uh, the second season, you know, with with the introduction of Spock, yep. just every everything about the show, it combines the sort of the hope and the optimism of what made the original. So it sort of got the, the sort of the balls out action from the from the original Star Trek, but it's also got the sort of the sort of the wise sort of introspection that the next generation has. But my favorite part of Discovery is it has sort of the, the conspiracy and the chaos and the darkness that was Deep Space Nine. And, you know, I love, even more than Next Generation, I love Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine was one of these Star Trek shows. The, oh, you the love Star it, Trek eh? show. I love it. I love Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine was sort of the, the, the middle, middle child syndrome. So what happened was Star Trek The Next Generation was wrapping up and they were getting ready to do the movie Generation. So you had one part of the Star Trek team doing that. They had the Deep Space Nine team working on their show, and then they're ramping up this concept of Voyager. So between Next Generation, Star Trek Generations, and Voyager, Paramount really was too busy to, to pay attention, and they just basically said to the Deep Space Nine group, we don't care what you do. Do whatever you want to do. And Deep Space Nine became this really dark, menacing conspiratorial uh, TV show about war and fear. And it was just absolute. When, when you watch it and they're dealing with the Dominion War, when, you know, I, I, Star Trek Deep Space Nine has one of the greatest characters in the history of Star Trek, and it was the character of Garrick. And Garrick is this mild-mannered Cardassian tailor who worked, who's got a, a, a just a, a tailor shop, a clothing shop on the promenade in Deep Space Nine. And just seems like a very quiet, you know, bespoken uh, tailor. But you do find out later on, because he befriends Dr. Bashir, that in fact, he was one of the most menacing members of the Cardassian uh, secret police that, oh, that yeah. has ever lived. And he tortured people and he, he did war crimes and he was just. He was just this malevolent character who's now sort of a spy. And they were, Deep Space Nine was able to do all that sort of shit without ever, you know, worrying about the higher ups at Paramount paying attention because they were so distracted doing other stuff. So yeah, Deep Space, Deep Space Nine, 
especially from like seasons four through seven, absolutely worth watching again. Just a stellar group and just sort of dark and edgy and and just like, you know, not everybody got along. And that's sort of, you know, that's what I love about Discovery. Not everybody likes each other. Right, they're not all friends, and a lot of that DNA is brought forth from Deep Space Nine. Just a as standing idea. Now, again, like any workplace, like any group of people that have to, sh- you know, share quarters together, um, you're not always going to be friends with everybody. No, you got to work with them, but you're not always going to be friends. Which is proper. I get that. So yeah, I love Discovery, though, buddy. I just I cannot wait for Friday night. It's just going to be the tit. It's going to be the tit. <laughs> it's going to be the cat's meow. One more question before we wrap you know, this man, bad boy up. Picard. What was your yeah. feeling on Picard? The, the the first season, I loved it. Yes. Uh, people pe- people shat on it a little bit. People were like, I don't really, but no, I I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I love that they were willing to take chances and do something a little bit different and do something, you know, not what, I think people expected the, the you know, Star Trek The Next Generation reunion. And while they did have some returning characters, it was nice to see, you know, uh, Riker and Deanna Troy again. It was just nice to see the show go in a different direction. It was nice to see them take Picard and do something, uh, literally what, what, what they call in, in, um, in writing, a fish out of water scenario. So Picard was literally a fish out of water, but I just thought it was great. I thought the, the Romulans being on uh, a board ship. I think the reintroduction of seven and nine as, as sort of like a, an outlaw, uh, what they call them rangers. I, I just loved everything about Picard. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in, man. I can't wait for the spring. Bring ah, back. I can't wait. Bring on season two, man. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. yeah Patrick Stewart is just a, a force of nature. Oh man. He's, he's fucking phenomenal. 90 years old. He is. And he's like 85 or 90. Like, I don't know how old. No, Shat, sorry. Shatner's 90. But but Patrick Stewart is up there. He's got to be at least seventy five. And hold so, on, hold on. Before we, yeah. we do, uh, cap it off. So Shatner yeah. going to space, a little crazy or yeah. like awesome? Awesome, absolutely awesome. Although he went to space on a giant penis, you know that. <laughs> it, it, it make no make no mistake. Jeff Bezos's spaceship, it, it, his his Blue Origin spaceship, looks like a giant dildo. It is a spaceship dildo. So Shatner, I mean, you make all the jokes you want, but yet Shatner, if anybody deserved to go into space, I fucking love William Shatner. He's just, he's just a fucking force of nature. Like Patrick Stewart, they're, they're the flip, the yin and yang, uh, the two, they're, they're both sides of the same coin, um, but just phenomenal, phenomenal actors, phenomenal characters. But yeah, Patrick, I hated Patrick Stewart at first, but really? I've grown to deeply, deeply, oh yeah, like I hated The Next Generation for the first two seasons. It wasn't until season three, but yeah, Patrick Stewart is everything now. He's just, I love Jean-Luc Picard. I absolutely love Jean-Luc Picard as a character. Patrick Stewart is an actor. Love it, buddy. Absolutely phenomenal. Can't wait. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Alan Smithy, yep. thank you very much for another episode of Unpredictable. We're putting, you know, I just mentioned it with, with Blue Origin Spaceship. It puts the dick in this episode, baby. Every episode <laughs> of Alan Smithy's Unpredictable, we're going to bring the dick hard. We're going to bring the dick hard. John Doe, thank you again for having me on your podcast. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. And again, thanks to every single listener that's listening. Thanks for tuning in. Keep tuning in and go deep. Go deep. A wise person once told me uh, nobody likes the tip, so that's why we go deep.
Boom. This is Go Deep Productions. Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep.